Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All I Know. I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Sarah, and this is going to be an awesome conversation with so much for all of us to take from it. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for having me today. This is going to be fun. So let's just jump right in to the anchor questions that we use for our interviews. That first one is, who are you? What do listeners need to know about Sarah in order to make the most of today's conversation? First and foremost, I have spastic cerebral palsy. Um, It's something you can see right off the bat. I was born with it. I was born three months premature, and cerebral palsy is caused due to brain damage, and mine was due to lack of oxygen to the brain. My lungs were not ready to support my little body at six months along. And so CP is different for every person. Um, You can be affected mentally, physically, or both. And the severity of how you're affected is kind of how much um, damage there was to the brain. And they don't know that that obviously right away. I am uh, triplegic, which means um, I'm I'm affected on my... both legs and right arm, and typically, not all the time, but but typically it's either um, two or four limbs, so your arms or your legs or both. So try is a little not as common. Um, yeah, it's like more complicated yes. for you because yes. you have to deal with that third limb instead of just the two. Yes, so I have one full functioning hand and arm. Um, I do use my right hand and arm, but I don't have any fine motor skills um, in that. I can't like tie a shoe or put on a necklace behind my neck or curl my hair, that type of thing. Yeah. But it is what I have, but it's not who I am. Well, I'm also a daughter and sister, well, a friend. And I think most importantly, I'm an auntie Sarah to two beautiful girls. Yes, yes, yes. Being an aunt is a pretty powerful thing. I am... 100% in that camp with you. (laughs) Yes. And I think the final thing that I am, we're going to talk about more today. So, okay, cool. So we'll learn more in a minute or two. Yes. Sarah, on the spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, where do you plot your life? I think due to my circumstances of who I am physically, my life was never ordinary. I don't know if I would say extraordinary, but it was never ordinary. You are the first person. That is so interesting. It's almost like as you were talking, I sort of saw this line right down the middle of the spectrum. And you're the first person to just sort of exactly hug that line right in the middle in your answer. That's really interesting to me. So never, never ordinary but you don't see it as extraordinary. Not necessarily. No. Okay. How do you define success? Doing what you love. You may not always succeed in what you do, but doing what you love and helping others at the same time, whether that be in your job, your work life, your personal life, or what you do 
For fun. Okay, so that brings us to the big one. So if you were to boil down three events, experiences, or themes from your life that have most shaped who you are, what would you say those three things are? And then after you give that to us in sort of broad strokes, let's choose one to talk about more in depth. Okay. I would say, even though it may not be quite a positive thing, but the surgeries and all of the things that encompass having a life with challenges and being differently abled, um, some days are good. Some days I have successes and some days are not so good. And there's been some very hard things. So unfortunately, that is one thing that I have to say that is a huge part of my life. Number two is probably being an aunt again. People say that you fall in love with someone right away in an instant. And for me, when when those girls were born, it was love at first sight. I totally know what you mean. And it's choking me up right now thinking about my niece and nephew. I, I understand of what you speak. And I think one place probably where you and I are similar is that there were motherhood dreams along the way, right? Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. something that, you know, we both have longed for in our lives and wished had happened. And I think that for me, I feel like that has brought a totally different sweetness to the idea of being an aunt. Oh, yes. I was head over heels in second one. Yeah. Just the first second, just both times. I thought, okay, I'm going to love the second one because my heart is already so full. But it got bigger in a way that I can't explain. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. (laughs) And it's making me weep. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and the third thing was September 27th, 2009. I walked in to a ballroom dance studio and met a wonderful man that has forever changed my life. You have to say more about that. I do. I do. So um, having cerebral palsy and having spastic muscles, being graceful and confident and sure in your steps is really not part of the equation. And I think like a lot of other girls and women out there I dreamed of dancing I loved ballet growing up did you take ballet for a very short period of time and that's another story all in itself I met a wonderful ballerina I didn't walk independently um for a while it was about nine or ten before I, I started walking without a walker um actually I still remember the first day that I surprised my family I was three or three and a half when I got a walker and started walking with that. So, but I met a lovely ballerina with bright red hair and she took me to my first ballet and she helped me get into like a, like a little bit of a ballet program. I'm sorry. It's been like decades ago. So my memory isn't perfect in that regard. Um, I joined a special ed class with other folks, but they mainly had other things that they struggled with, not really the motor side of things so they were able to physically move and do what was asked in the class but for a very short period of time yes but not in the way that other people would but she's forever changed my life and she was my dance inspiration and I always grew up watching the ballet watching I I actually watched America's ballroom challenge with my grandma in junior high on PBS oh I love it (laughs) <laughs> that that and Lawrence Welk, I wasn't as thrilled with that, but um, so I've always loved it. And as I grew up, I kind of knew that that would never be something I would do. You know, my friends got married at a kind of young ages and they all had weddings and stuff. And I, I always said that if I got married, there'd be no dancing at my wedding. I was very emphatic actually about that. And uh, finally, in my mid 20s, my brother got married, my little brother. And I was in a wedding kind of around the same time, like in a very short time frame. And um, I found a swing dancer locally that kind of helped me with a just a light swing dance. And But I really liked it, and it, it just didn't work out. And so 
when I was 29, I came home from work early one day and watched a local news piece on a blind ballroom dancer. He was fine physically as far as his limbs went, but he was completely blind. And he was dancing and competing, and I thought, oh my goodness, I thought maybe, just maybe, they might be able to help me. You know, because all I wanted to do was learn how to waltz. That, for me, was just it. That That's all I wanted. And so I was so excited. I called the telephone number. They told me that they had an intro special of three small lessons, and I, I kind of agreed. I, I kind of quickly told them who I was. They did say that they had worked with other people with challenges before, but different. And we kind of agreed over the phone, like if I, after three intro lessons, if it didn't work out, we could part ways and be fine with that. But I was so nervous that the day before I canceled my dance lesson. Uh, I was just so afraid of meeting someone and them not wanting to touch me or help me. And so I waited six months to actually get the courage to go back in. So the night before my 29th birthday, I went in for my very first lesson. And I walked up and I said hello and I introduced myself to the gentleman that they put me with. And I said, my name is Sarah. I'm 29 years old and and I would love to learn how to waltz. And I will never forget Michelle. He looked at me in the eyes and he said, Sarah, would you care to dance? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And he was polite. And he led me on the dance floor, and he said, let's start with a rumba box. It's four steps, just four. And it took me a total of 10 hours of dancing to learn how to do that. So it did not come easy. It did not come quick. But... After those three intro lessons, I was hooked. So thus began my journey into ballroom dancing. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I just, I can't even. (laughs) So I'm just going to give a little bit of context for our listeners that you and I know each other is through dancing. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where we met. And um, so I am bound to be a bit emotional during this conversation because stepping onto a dance floor has been a very emotional thing for me, too. I have to confess, I think I'll probably just cry my way through the whole thing because the feelings that you're describing, I can understand, you know, and I don't understand them with the same physical challenge. And I recognize that it's different. And that makes me so much more in awe of you, Sarah, because I know how much it is to try and overcome the mental and emotional barriers and not having to contend with the physical piece too. And knowing that you are, it just bowls me over. It just bowls me over. We're talking today about dancing right? Yes. So what was it that made you want to learn to waltz? Is it because you knew what the waltz was? It's really the Viennese waltz. I love both of them. The Viennese waltz is what you see on the Disney movies with Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty. I didn't know that going in. So, I mean, they're still both beautiful in their own ways and regards. And I've just actually learned the Viennese waltz probably in the last two years, and I've been dancing for almost 12 so it's faster than a regular waltz. And so that's it's so hard. It's so hard. And it's so hard. It's a challenge balance wise. I'll be dead honest about that. So it's been a long time in coming. Um, I'm still not there. I've competed in it, I think, twice. Once officially, and I think the first time I competed in it was actually at our studio studio event where we competed against each other, not like out in public. But uh, so the first time I think I competed in it was January 2020 when I went uh, to the snowball competition in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So that was an experience all in itself just to do that. But I did it because for me, it's the epitome of being 
lovely and graceful. And those words are not always true of who I, what I look like. Yeah, those aren't words you would always choose for yourself. No. Do you feel like you can claim them when you dance? Goodness, that's a hard question. I'm working on it. I think for me, when people see me dance, because I still struggle with it every single time, whether it's a showcase or a competition or just someone who randomly sees me practice, how they see that I, I love it with every part of who I am and that I've left my heart on the dance floor when I'm finished. As a person who's seen you dance, I can say that that is exactly what happens. And you do light up when you're dancing. I mean, your face is so radiant and mesmerizing. It takes you to another place. And I can tell that you are in another place. It's really beautiful. People ask me, you know, I never can leave my cerebral palsy anywhere. I don't have one day where I can be separate from it. And it's even true on the dance floor. But the moment that I get the chance to dance for myself or perform, something switches and I become the person that I want to be on that dance floor. Dance has obviously had a really tremendous impact on you, Sarah. Oh, yes. Not all of who I am, though. I, I mean, I have other parts of my life and some people don't even know I dance. You know what I mean? It's a big part of my life, but it's not all of who I am. So let's talk about the arc a little bit and your evolution as a dancer. Yes. From that very first lesson, I want to make sure that I am stitching this together in my mind correctly. Yes. If I heard you right, you saw that news story and you Mm -hmm. called the studio and scheduled that intro package. I said, yes. And then you canceled it. Yes. (laughs) And it took six months. Yes, roughly. Mm -hmm. To go back. Mm -hmm. And what you ended up doing was actually having that first lesson the night before your 30th birthday. 29th. Night before 29th birthday. Okay, got it. And I said 29. I probably shouldn't have said that, but it was going to be the next day. So it was easier to say 29. (laughs) I don't say anything that's not true. No, (laughs) it's fair. It's fair. And so you made it to your lesson and had this very lovely and gentle experience with your coach. Yes, it, it was hard at the same time. I was doing something specifically I wasn't uh, used to. So it wasn't like it was painful necessarily, but it wasn't super easy either. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you say 10 hours. Yeah. I mean, combined. So it took us a long time to get there, but yeah. Yeah. That's putting in some work for sure. Yeah. Yes. At that time, I could not even open my hands enough on my own for him to hold it. He actually had to pry it open for a long time. So So let's talk about the arc from that point until now. How has your body, how has your mind, how has your heart evolved during this journey with dance? Oh, goodness. I was really excited at first. Like, I told everybody all the time that I was dancing, like, all the time. And maybe I was a little too enthusiastic. I know that maybe I talked about it a little too much. So the the people close to me probably got a little, a little tired of hearing it because from my perspective, it was like I waited my whole life to find because you play sports or do dance or gymnastics as a kid. And I went to physical therapy. <laughs> You know, and so I was so excited to finally find something that, yes, it was such a journey, but I was able to do it that I probably talked about it a little too much. So over the years, I've begun to talk about it more now, I guess, but I try to be sensitive. Like I said, so some people don't even know until after they know me for a while that I do that. Um, Now it's a little different because through life and through COVID, I now work full time for the studio behind the desk. So that is my job. So I tell people I work at a ballroom dance studio, but I don't always tell them that I'm a ballroom dancer. You know, it's a huge part of who I am. And sometimes I think it's hard for me to say the words that I am a dancer. For years, I would just say, I take ballroom dancing lessons. Mm -hmm. 
But I think I've finally come to that point of, I can say I am a dancer. What tipped you over? What was the tipping point? Well, <laughs> in part, Mitch, he kept drilling it into my head that I, I really was. And, and Mitch is your coach. Yeah. Just in case, I don't know if we said it or not, but you and I are probably taking that for granted because we, we know. Are, yes. I was in my very first lesson. I was introduced to a wonderful man named Mitch Keibel, and he has been my teacher from day one. Truly in my life would not be where it is without him. So, so Mitch is part of what helped you make that leap to not just being a person who takes dance lessons, but a person who is a dancer. Yes. And I think the last two years probably have been, um, and I've been to other competitions and done other things, but I've had some physical things happen in the last two years that have been a little bit major, but yet even through those things, I was able to still dance. And for me that it's a miracle really. And so going through those things finally made me realize that I, I truly am a dancer. Are you comfortable telling us what those things are? What have you been through the last two years? Um, yeah, I should say probably two and a half. A couple of years ago, I was at an event in a gymnasium and I always tried to stay away from crowds. I was there for um, some folks who were getting their black belt in karate. And so there was lots of family and friends there. And I always try to wait for the crowds. I'm almost child size. So I'm very small and people have bumped into me and actually sat on me before. And so, oh gosh. Yeah. And so my balance is not great. And so I try to take extra care to wait if there's a crowd of people because I am so small. And a young gentleman wasn't looking and he was much taller and bigger than me and just ran right into me. And thankfully, I did not hit my head, but I went fully backwards on a basketball court. And, um, you know, I had to seek a different type of physical therapy because of that. And then a little over a year ago, due to low blood sugar, I was... Uh, with my family, my mom and my niece, we were going downstairs to watch a movie. And um, in a split second, we have some basement stairs and I fell partially fell down the stairs. Actually, my niece and my mom prevented me from falling all the way down, which was a huge miracle in itself. But um, I still have the effects of that today. So from uh, that fall. Yes. And it's always been my worst fear is to get a concussion because I know head injuries are major, not only physically, but mentally. And thankfully I have a pretty good memory. I didn't want to lose that. I, I mean, I still struggle brain wise and maybe thinking about things differently than you do, but I can still do a spreadsheet, talk on the phone and have a conversation, that kind of thing. So I didn't want anything else to go wrong, you know, and sometimes head injuries are really serious. And mm -hmm. so I would say I'm a lot better, but I'm not myself. Um, no. When you say, Sarah, and if you don't want to answer this question, yeah. you don't have to, but it just made me curious when you said, I think about things differently than you do. Maybe that was the wrong word. I process things a little bit different or I don't even know how to explain it. Um, I loading the dishwasher this is really weird but no no this will be so helpful for me I I want to understand I may do things the long way or I'm very stubborn is that actually part of it too I want to do it all myself and so instead of asking for someone's help or helping me over a curb I'll take 40 extra steps just to do it myself you know or I'm going back and forth and I wanted to be clear about this whole conversation <laughs> that's okay um, Loading the dishwasher, I may load them differently than you do because in my brain it's logical. Not that it's wrong or I'm not smart because I did get really good grades in school, but um, I just things process differently. Um, and that probably goes back to the fact that when you're a baby, you learn how to crawl, right? You use your hand, your arms, your hands, and your legs, and you cross. So you have a cross connection that happens in your brain. 
Mm-hmm. That midline. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did not have that. I didn't learn how to crawl at all. So some of the physical things that I struggle with are probably a manifestation of that. I never did learn how to drive. That was, I didn't know if I was going to bring that up, but now we have Uber and Lyft. So it's a lot better in the last 10 years for me to admit that I don't do that. When I was younger and in my twenties and thirties, it was harder to say, yes, my mom or dad is in the parking lot, you know, like, but it's a little easier now. And now that I'm older, I don't want to drive. Yeah. So I don't know. And maybe I, I hear things differently and it processes differently in my brain. So sometimes the wrong things comes out of my mouth or I hear something correctly and then it just comes out wrong, you know, like not a huge deal, but enough sometimes to be like, that was so dumb, you know, or something like that. Oh, so. I was just curious about how that plays out So in dance and even actually learning how, or when I did learn how to drive, you can tell me something the first time and I'll hear you. Maybe sometimes if it gets too loud on the dance floor, it's a little loud sometimes, but I hear whatever Mitch wants me to do. But uh, the message between my brain and my body don't work out. You know, like back in the day when you had a home phone and you would take messages from your mom and then you'd get too busy playing and you'd forget half of what the caller said. That's what happens sometimes between my brain and my body. So my brain will tell my body to do something and the message will not end up in the way that it's supposed to be. I fight against myself, actually, to walk, talk, and do anything. So I burn two to three times as much energy as you do doing anything in life. Gosh. Out of my room, getting my clothes on in the morning. Yeah. So, And my brain never shuts off, actually. Because of my nervous system and everything, the way that, that it's designed and, yeah, yeah. Constantly processing. Yes. Constant. The wheels yes. are constantly spinning. Yes. And actually, for a time after my concussion, it stopped. I could only think about one or two things at a time, and people are like, "Oh, that's normal." And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> and so now I'm actually with my therapist. We're doing some cranial work, and again, for the last month or so, I can only think about one or two things at a time, and it's very strange. Does it feel good? No, I, I wouldn't say good or bad. It's just strange. it's just different. Yeah, yeah. So, what is it about dance? Do you think that has had such a profound impact on you? Well, it's physically hard. I don't know if people are really aware of that. It's referred to as dance sport, and I truly believe it is a sport. It takes your whole body to accomplish that. Um, It takes fine motor skills. It takes cardio. It takes core. And not to mention the brain side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's graceful. It's beautiful. It's strong. It's vulnerable at times. That is true. Yeah. Ballroom is not for the faint of heart. No, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not. I mean, just echoing what you're saying here, it's always so astounding to me how hard some of these steps and patterns are, because when you watch someone else do it, they make it look so effortless. And so you think I can do that. (laughs) And then you try and you realize how very much work that pattern or step is. Yes. Is there anything else specifically you want to say, Sarah, when we, when we think back about that arc of your time learning to dance and becoming a dancer and the impact on you physically, spiritually, emotionally, is there anything else you want to say about that journey? It's still a journey. It's ever changing. I've reached some goals. I'm always one to have other goals on the horizon, whether they change a little bit or we find that they don't fit, which is fine. But I I always do have to have a goal. I'm that sort of person. So, and I have a dancing bucket list too. (laughs) You do? What's on your dance bucket list? I do. Some of it's a little more realistic than others, but I would love to dance the Viennese waltz in Vienna 
actually. In Vienna? Yeah. I love that idea. Yes. And um, I have uh, been to Paris a couple of times, but it's a very short period of time. And I've always wanted to go up to the top of the Eiffel Tower. The first time I went there, I went with a friend and we didn't even try to go up. And I went shortly thereafter with my parents. And they actually would not allow me to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Why? They, um, because there's an elevator that goes from the second section to the top section. Yeah. And they said that if the elevator stopped working, I'd have to take the stairs. I can take the stairs. With a railing, I can do it without assistance. And my dad was there, and he said, I will even carry her if that's what is required to fulfill her wish of seeing the top. Um, they wouldn't let me. Basically, they gave me my money back and said that that was not possible. So um, I'd like to try it one more time, and I would like to, if I get to Paris, I'm going to ask a complete stranger. I'm going to learn enough French to ask a gentleman to tango with me under that. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I'm like kind of a shy person when I'm not at work or dance. So I hope that man knows how to tango. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, a big know, thing, you, right? You see those photos, you know, of the couple dancing under the Eiffel Tower. I, I'm sure you've seen them. Yes. And so let's see what else. I want to dance at the beach, at the shoreline. And I will be very honest. Mitch did help some of that come true. We were in Chicago visiting a hospital for some research and we went to a beach in quotation marks because it really wasn't the beach like it was, it was a lake. on the lake it was a lake with some sand so yes but he knows that I want the real ocean with a real beach and then when we're done dancing I want this is really odd but I want one of those photos that is taken at sunset a dancing pose where it's black so me and whoever it is are in silhouette yep I can help you with that, Sarah. Okay. I can help you with that. Let's make that happen. Okay. Yeah. And it, it could be Mitch or someone else or, I mean, they would have to know what, what they were doing, but you know, um, yeah. And we've talked about being on Dancing with the Stars, but they no longer do those special stories anymore. So that one is kind of back on the table, which is fine. Um, I just, I want to be able to reach a whole bunch of people just once in my life at one time Mm. to show them that anything is possible with hard work, determination, and some faith. You may not succeed, as we were saying earlier, because I don't think success is defined really necessarily by if you succeed, but if you give it your whole heart. Yeah, and I I mean, I remember what you said when I asked you that question, you talked about doing what you love Mm -hmm. and it didn't have anything to do with the achieving. It was in the doing. Yeah. I don't dance to win first place because more oftentimes than not, I physically cannot accomplish all that is required for first place. Just technically when it comes down to the steps or the movements, but I wouldn't have it any other way. This is a conversation that you and I had earlier this week at the studio, Yeah. but I feel like I want to tiptoe toward it because I feel like it fits part of what you're saying right now. Okay. And if you're not comfortable with it, we'll shut it down. Okay. But I'm remembering back to us talking about your scores at Snowball. Yes. And some of the feedback that you got from one of the judges. Oh, yes. This year in 2021, we did it virtually this year. Um, Yeah. We could not be present. And so they did something very new. When you're judged, I do regular um, dancing. And then I, um, I, I love choreographed numbers. So I often compete in the solo category. So it is like Dancing with the Stars, for lack of better for a better analogy, where you have a choreographed routine and you perform it against other couples that choose to do the same thing. You have a parameter of how long it is and things like that. But basically, you're given a little more free reign on what you can do. So, uh, yes, 
I uh, I was very fortunate in 2020 when I went to the uh, snowball in Minnesota. Um, we had 14 other couples in our category. Now I've had about six or seven was my top number of people that I would compete against. So that was a big field. 14 or 15 is more yes, than double we, what we you're used to. 15, and we didn't know that until we showed up and danced that day. So I'm glad we didn't know ahead of time. I think I would have had kind of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> and I was first um, that year. And I hate going first because you get it done with yes, but then you have to sit there and think about what you just danced and then watch all these other people go after you. But I told Mitch, I remember distinctly as we were walking onto the ballroom floor that I was happy with 15th place because it had been the year after my fall on the basketball court and I felt like I, I made enough progress to do this and we were going to do something that I had never done before. And, um, I don't like to tell, especially my parents, what I'm doing in my routines because it's more fun just to watch surprise them. them. Yes. And so I remember that. And the final three couples were going to go on, on later at night during the pro part and dance again. And so I, I was happy. My Actually, some of my family was there that had never seen me dance live before. And it was just, it was a beautiful time and uh, I danced my heart out I left it on the floor and um, there was a tie for third place when they announced who was moving on to the finals and I don't know who that was but I made it to the finals and uh, amazing I ended up winning first place and it's pretty awesome and so especially with um, my concussion right after Snowball 2020 and all the other things that went along with that and, and COVID and, and life-changing, um, just work-wise, life-wise. I just didn't know what 2021 was going to hold for either Snowball or Showcase. And we had the opportunity to work with one of the owners of our studio. I have never worked with her dancing-wise before. And uh, I just said, I want to be pushed. I always tell Mitch this every year. I'm good at lifts. I'll say that. I'll be honest about it in part because I'm so small. Um, but you have to be able to, to lift your own body weight. It's him doing a lot of the work, but it's not all that. And people sometimes say, oh, they just carry you around because you're so small. I'm like, no, it really is a partnership. There are times when he has more of the burden and he really does. I will say that. So we decided to push the envelope, even we didn't know how lifts were going to go after the concussion or I hadn't done any lifts really. And we just kind of saved those for last because I am better at those. So we don't have to do them quite as soon. And so, um, we decided to do it virtually this year and, uh, it was open to the world. So we didn't know how many people were going to compete because it was a great opportunity for people from other parts of the world that couldn't travel to be a part of a competition. So and this is 2021 snowball 20, in the thick of yeah. COVID. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I was tracking for Christmas in studio. Um, and then it was like the 10th or 11th ish of January. So we pre-recorded everything and, uh, no editing. Uh, we took two takes and that was it. No editing, no nothing. And so that Saturday morning, they gave us heat times like they do at a regular competition. And so I was uh, actually had a haircut appointment the morning. So I watched myself. I was number one and then I had to run out and go get my haircut. So I was at the hairdressers when when everything was finished. But they were going to do something special this year because of um, being virtual. They were going to take the final six couples. And that evening, they were going to have it judged by only three judges. There's usually a few more in person. And when you do a solo, they give you a piece of paper afterwards. They do like a one-line comment, which is really nice with your score. So because in regular competition, you don't get that. You just get your number and that's it, you know. And so, but so this they, was a little more involved because you yeah. actually had the benefit of the feedback, not just the numerical score. 
solos are different when you compete in ballroom regularly. There's the multiple couples on the floor dancing the same thing at the same time. So basically, you're only really judged for seconds of your dance because judges are placed around the floor and they have to look at everybody at the same time. But in a solo, you have their own, their whole attention. Mm -hmm. So that you are performing for a small group of people. You do have the audience. But um, so they were going to have three judges uh, be fed in live and judge the final six couples. It was beautiful competition. They had some technical difficulties getting that part. So they had to delay the finals a whole 24 hours. So we were last on the list of six. And the comments, we, I was so nervous because they were telling people what they needed to work on. I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, but that's part of it is the parts where, you know, you need to work on things. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, whatever comes, whatever comes. And so right before they started talking about my performance with Mitch, I called him on the telephone because obviously we're not together at this time. And it's the first time we've ever not stood next to each other for any kind of placement and it was weird and they scored us like dancing with the stars and uh i was the only one out of all of everyone that got a perfect score of 30 and i was i still i don't know if i can process that because i don't know there were some beautiful dancers and they deserve to be recognized for their hard work but the judges were so kind and so gracious. I was going to look at the footage before this interview, and I did not. But I think I remembered to the best of my ability at the last judge, Maria, she said, the mark of a true artist is presenting or giving the audience something to feel. So... I don't know if I'm ready to say that I am an artist yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Reaching for that too. Yeah. What do you want to say about your coach and that relationship? Where to begin? He's treated me with such kindness and dignity and love, if I might say, in a form. And he's believed in me. He's cheered me on. But he's also told me what I need to work on. And I truly respect that as well. It's not all first place. It's hours and hours of doing the same thing over and over. And poor man, in my case especially, he has to tell me, 40 times to do something because he knows I hear him the first time but it doesn't translate into that on the dance floor and his patience with me is more than I could ever express so Mitch thank you from the bottom of my heart it's a pretty powerful partnership that you have yes yes So if you were going to reflect on dancing, Sarah, and your journey with it and the relationship that you have to ballroom, and you were going to boil it down for us and say, all I know is. All I know is life is like dancing. You have to be willing to take the first step onto the ballroom floor of life. Because you never know what one small choice will lead to. It may not always be beautiful and you may stumble and you may fall, but that's part of life. It's kind of like the waltz and the rise and fall. Life has its ups and it has its downs. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. I'm so glad that we got to do this today. Yes. Is there anything else, Sarah, that you want to offer or share with us before we jump into closing our time with the Pivo questionnaire? Yes. One of the things getting older and uh, being differently abled, Mitch has been instrumental in encouraging me to think about having a stability service dog. And Mm -hmm. so that is 
I think a huge goal for 2021. I don't know if it would be a dancing bucket list thing, but it would be on on the list. And I'm not quite sure how to say that exactly, but um, it's already been a journey trying to find a dog. They take at least two years to train, and specifically, I'm looking for a dog that doesn't shed. So that's even a little more difficult. Um, a little more specific. Yeah. Because yes, yes. you have two important asks, not just the one. I do. Because when you get a service dog, you have to sign a contract. You will take care of the animal. And um, I mentioned them before, and I'm not embarrassed about this anymore, but I live with my parents. And I cannot forget to say thank you to my friends and family. Because without them, I wouldn't be going to dance lessons. I wouldn't be going to a job. And my friends have been more than phenomenal throughout my dancing journey, whether I've talked about it too much or not. Without them, it would literally physically not be possible for me to dance. So, side note, I have to say thank you to the entire staff at Colorado Dance Sport. They said yes to me when other people wouldn't. Thank you to them. But yes, because I have to sign a contract saying that I will care for the animal. Dogs who are typically stability service dogs are usually German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers, or Labradors, and they all shed, and I cannot vacuum. So so I, I have to have a dog that does not shed. So some sort of doodle, whether that would be a Labrador doodle, a Golden Doodle, there's doodles of all kinds <laughs> but uh, um and the dog has to be roughly half of my body weight so 50 to 60 pounds not too big where I can't handle it but big enough to help support my physical self if something were to occur and I would trip or fall so. so being in the search for a stability service dog has not been easy no. And so if there's anyone listening who has a connection to an animal or an organization that might be able to help Sarah match with a dog, please feel free to reach out to us directly at the podcast. And I will make sure that Sarah gets that message. Our email address is found on our website. I'm going to drop it right here as well. It's all I know at inwardboundco.com. So all I know at I-N-W-A-R-D-B-O-U-N-D-C-O, <laughs> long handle there, dot com. If anyone has a connection that might be a good lead for Sarah in terms of matching with a stability service animal, we would welcome your message and your ideas. Okay, Sarah, are you ready for the Bernard Pivot questionnaire? Sure. What's your favorite word? Grace. What's your least favorite word? Wait. W-A-I-T. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Beautiful things. Or beautiful people. What turns you off? I would say probably ignorance. Ignorance? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this one, but what's your favorite curse word? I don't have one. Yeah, because I don't think you curse. No. I say for the love of Pete a lot. <laughs> for the love of Pete. Someone named Pete. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? My niece is laughing. What sound or noise do you hate? Someone hurting. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? I'd love to be a nurse. And what profession would you definitely not want to do? Like a car mechanic. <laughs> a car mechanic? Myself being able to lift stuff. Not that, I mean, they're great. I just don't ever see myself doing something like that. And if heaven exists, which I know which we both is, believe that it does. It does, yes. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as you pass through the pearly gates? Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Sarah. I hope, my friends, you have benefited from this conversation as much as I have. I feel like there's so much to process today, so much to take away from this time with Sarah. 
the main things that I'm really thinking about right now go all the way back to the beginning of the interview. And then that thread that just really carried through the entire time around the idea of success, not being necessarily achieving something, but it's in the doing it's in the trying it's in giving yourself to it. That is the mark of a successful life. And I also, I'm also feeling deeply impacted by the courage and the tenacity that it takes to face challenges. And I, I'm thinking about a conversation I had with one of my students earlier this week, Sarah, where he said something about people not having enough grit and that people need to develop more grit. And as I was listening to you talk, I actually thought about him and thought, you want to see somebody with grit, buddy? Here she is. Thank you for being with us and hope you'll enjoy our next episode. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at know at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. All I know at inwardboundco.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allIKnow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>